You know what? I, I believe in the midst of these unpredictable times we, that we live in, there is hope. Hope with a capital H. I believe that hope can heal the world. I'm convinced of that. Hope can heal the world. But the hope I'm speaking of is not the flip a coin hope. The hope I'm speaking of is the certainty of gravity hope. And it's not a person, it's not a what, it's a who. The hope I'm speaking of is Jesus Christ. You know what? I also believe that uh, that hope can shape our lives, it can heal our lives, and it can restore our lives. It can shape the world, it can heal the world, and it can restore the world. But for that to happen, there are, I believe there are three core needs that every single person alive needs to have either activated or activating or present in their lives, and not only just within their lives, but to such a degree that they can share it with others in their story. As we, uh, begin to, as we begin the month of April, who would know, eh? We are a quarter of the way through the year already. I don't know, I, I kind of feel like all I've done is got my year planner up on the wall in my office so far. It's gone so fast. But at the beginning of the, uh, April and two weeks away from Easter, we are going to be looking into messages that lead us to that living hope that Jesus is whom we as believers know that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So for those of you taking notes, this message today is called The Road to Hope. The Road to Hope. These three core needs that I just mentioned, humanity has been desperate for these to be active in their lives throughout time, and they remain as important today as they ever were. Those three core needs are these. Compassion, Forgiveness and redemption. However, out of those three, there is only one that can offer, uh, there is only one person, capital O, that can offer all three in perfect completion and perfection. And I would suggest that without all three fully functional in our lives, then our lives are actually incomplete. I make the requirement for the need for all three to be full and complete in our lives. Because in truth, we can find compassion and we can even find forgiveness pretty much anywhere. Even in the most difficult of situations, there's compassion. I mean, we're seeing evidence of that with the aid that is pouring in around the world for the folks in the Ukraine. We're seeing compassion pour out uh, in memory of, of the Islamic people who remember the terrorist attack down in Christchurch, there is compassion and there's even forgiveness. But the one thing that glues them all together, the one thing that makes compassion and forgiveness complete and perfect is redemption. Redemption is the sum and completion of the first two. And that true redemption can only come through Jesus. So let's take a quick look at these three elements, these three core needs. Let's break them down. Number one, compassion. The word compassion comes from a very, very old root. The old root is ecclesiastical Latin, and the word is compassio, or another word for it is compati. And this literally means, compassion literally means to suffer with. Jesus, his entire life oozed compassion. 
he suffered with, and we'll get to the, the, greater, the greater depth of his suffering in a minute. But let's just break it down. He suffered with the weary in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30. It says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to suffer with you in your weariness. He wants to walk beside you in your weariness. To the brokenhearted in the morning, Luke chapter 7 tells the story of a widow whose son had died, and Jesus came across the funeral procession. This widow was brokenhearted, and she was in the depths of mourning. And out of compassion, feeling the suffering of the widow, Jesus, in verse 13 of Luke 7, said this, When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and said to her, Do not weep. And then he went on, and he raised her son back to life, and gave her son back to his mother. Jesus had compassion on those who were leaderless. He, he looked out across the people of Jerusalem. He looked out across the people of Israel. And, and he realized that not only were they leaderless, but they were shepherdless. They had no one to lead them to still waters, green pastures. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, this is what it says. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then there's the disabled and the desperate. In Matthew chapter 20, we read of a story of two men who are sitting blind and begging. The only way that they could survive was to beg and for people to feel compassion, feel sympathy and empathy for them as blind people. But Jesus went one step further than just giving them a few coins or maybe giving them a warm coat for winter. In Matthew 20 verse 34, it says, Moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they, they regained their sight, and they followed him. Why should we not be surprised about Jesus' compassion? Well, you know what? His compassion was actually prophesied by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus was, on, was born and alive. In Luke, uh, sorry, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 11, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. His arm will gather them, uh, gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And then there's one of the greatest displays of compassion that Jesus showed. As he hung dying on the cross, he looked out and he saw his own mother standing at the foot of the cross Utterly broken. Utterly broken. So what does he do? He looks down and standing beside his mother is John, the disciple. And he instructed John to adopt his mother. Thus ensuring, how's this for compassion? Thus ensuring that his mother would be cared for, she would be provided for, she would have somewhere to live and she would not be left destitute after her son died. John chapter 19, verse 27, it says this, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. Compassion is a powerful, powerful thing to suffer with. The, the second core need that every person in humanity needs is forgiveness. Now, psychologists generally define forgiveness as this. A conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or a group who has harmed you. 
regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Now, <laughs> come on, let's be real. Let's be real. Sometimes there's some stuff that happens and you're like, no way. No way. Not a chance. They don't deserve it. They are not going to get it. I'm not going to give it. And yet, Jesus gave us forgiveness. A conscious and a deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a personal group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve it. You know what? True and complete forgiveness actually makes no sense to someone who has not experienced it themselves. True and complete forgiveness makes no sense to someone who's never experienced true and complete forgiveness that we receive through Jesus Christ. What did that forgiveness look like? You know what? God, through his son, Jesus Christ, forgave us. By how? By absorbing within himself the destructive and the painful consequences of our sin against him. You know, even I, I've been a believer for a long time. I've been a follower of Jesus Christ and his teachings for a long time. But even now, I am still overwhelmed that he would do that for me. Daniel chapter 9, verse 9 in the Old Testament says this, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Come on, mums and dads. How many times have one of your kids rebelled against you and yet they come back and you don't stop loving them and they come back and you'll forgive them? If you can do that with one of your own kids, why do we struggle believing that Jesus could do that with us? In Micah chapter 7, verse 18, again in the Old Testament, this is what it said, Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of this inheritance, his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. And again, when we think Easter and we think Jesus hanging on the cross, I would have to suggest that one of the greatest, greatest statements of forgiveness was when Jesus, completely innocent, is being murdered and hung dying on the cross. And he calls out to his father in heaven. And this is what he says in Luke 23 verse 34. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now that's a little bit of a, that's a, little bit of a, a conundrum in the head actually. Because the religious leaders of the day knew exactly what they were doing. They were removing someone that threatened their security as religious leaders of the day. They knew they were murdering him. And yet, when Jesus said they do not know what they do, they had no idea that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. Perfect in every way. Just like the lambs that these priests down throughout the ages had sacrificed. It had to be a perfect lamb for the sacrifice, for the atonement, for the payment of sins. They had done it day in, day in, out for centuries. And yet they had no idea that's exactly what they were doing at that time. 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So there's compassion and then there's forgiveness. But redemption? How does redemption complete compassion and forgiveness? You know what? Such beauty comes. It just, it, it's just, I, I love digging into the original words. Where do they come from? What's the, where do these words, how are they shaped into our language today? And redemption again comes from very old Latin. And the word is redemptio or redemere. And it literally means, redemption literally means to buy back. This is so important to know that when Jesus died on the cross, he bought you back. He bought you back from death spiritually. He bought you back from, a, from an eternity in hell. And I mean, literally bought you back, like came and gathered and bought you back. But even more so, he bought you back in the fact that he paid the price that we could not pay. And you say, well, wait a minute. I never sold my life. Why? I don't need to be bought. What? What are you talking about? Well, guess what? In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a price to be paid for the sin of humanity. It's a heavy price. It's a high price. It's an ignored price. But the price is still there. You can, you can go online and see things for sale and you can ignore the price of them. But if you want them, you've got to pay the price. Thing is, if we want eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, we can't pay that price. It's beyond our means. But guess what? The hope, the hope, <laughs> the hope, the good news is that that price has been paid by Jesus on the cross. Deep within the soul of every human being, there is a need to know that we can be redeemed. At that last moment, in that last gasp of breath, perhaps in, a, in, the, in the grip of desperation, we all want to know that it's going to be okay. Now, we understand that on an earthly level, but what about on an eternal level? You know, we, we, wouldn't, we, we, we weren't kind of metamorphically risen out of a single-cell primordial gloop. We were made on purpose, for a purpose. We were made in the image and the craftsmanship of Jesus Christ. And, and we weren't made just to be here and then not. You know, it doesn't end when this physical body ends. There is an element to you that lives for eternity and there is an eternal hope through Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43, this is what Jesus himself said. No, sorry, Jesus didn't say this. It was one of the criminals hanging on the crosses beside him. So we know this about Easter. If you're a believer, there were three crosses, Jesus in the middle and the criminals either side of him. And at one point, there was a moment of realization by one of the prisoners, one of the criminals, that actually all hope 
was in Jesus. And he turns around and he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me. This is Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, why did he say that to that prisoner and not to the other prisoner who abused him? Because only one prisoner actually reached out to hope. The other one just abused it. The other one reached out to it. Why do I believe that there's exceptional hope in Jesus? Why do I believe that Jesus is the absolute road to hope? Well, I want to give you five reasons. Five reasons why I believe in the hope that Jesus is. Here's number one. While Jesus' death was a massive disappointment to the disciples, and whilst his resurrection was a huge surprise, even though Jesus had said it, thing is, it was prophesied. Again, by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, some 700 years before Jesus even lived, Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 8. Let me read it to you. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was in our weakness, sorry, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. Verse 5, but he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering for their punishment? I love that last bit there. Who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins? Jump forward to Jesus hanging on the cross, and he cries out to his father, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Don't you love it? When a prophecy 700 years before the event is confirmed by very, the very words stated by Jesus dying on the cross. Wow. Okay, so his death and resurrection were prophesied. Number two, his death, his, he, he, a public execution absolutely assured his death. You know, usually in that sort of execution, it's one of the most painful, terrible executions or tortures that's ever been designed by man. Did you know that the pain on the cross was so incredible they had to invent a word to describe it? We use the word excruciating to describe an unbelievable, unbearable pain. Did you know excruciating comes again from the Latin word excrucio, which means of the cross? And normally the whole nature of crucifixion is that they are hung and their body sags and their, their lungs are constricted. And so they push up on the nail in their feet. Sorry if this is too graphic. So that they can catch a breath. 
And then out of sheer pain, they begin to slump. And then they begin to suffocate. And then they push up on the nail again so that... So they might be able to get breath. But when Jesus was crucified, the Passover, sorry, the, the, yeah, the Passover was about to happen. And the Sabbath was the very next day. And so the priests of the day went and said, we can't have this happening on the Sabbath. You need to deal with this. And so to hurry up the deaths of people being crucified, Roman soldiers would come using a sledgehammer and break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up. Again, I apologize if that's too graphic, but actually that's the nature of what Jesus was suffering. But when the Roman soldier arrived, they found that Jesus was already dead. John 19, verse 33 and 34. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, which again... Again, confirmed another prophecy that said no bone in his body was broken. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Did you know when the soldier pierced his side, it confirmed yet again another prophecy about Jesus. And interestingly, where it describes blood and water flowing out of his chest, that is a, is a physiological medical description of a broken heart. Crazy, eh? So his, his death and resurrection were prophesied. His execution was so public no one could deny it. Here's number three. His grave was sealed and it was secured. It was widely known that Jesus had predicted he would, be raised, he would rise from the dead in three days' time. And the, the, the religious leaders of the day were so fearful and so insecure and so suspicious that they went to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and they requested that he seal and guard the tomb so no grave robbers could come and steal the body of Jesus. Matthew 27, 65, Pilate responds to them. He said, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. Now, there was no problem about the Roman guards guarding this tomb because the discipline and the rules of the Roman legionaries were so strict that if you fell asleep when you were on guard duty or if you failed in your station of guarding, it cost your life. These guys, these guys were on guard. And yet Matthew 28 verse 6, the next day when Mary went to the grave, she encountered an angel. The angel says, he isn't here. He has been raised from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. It was prophesied, it was public, his, tomb was sealed, and the fourth one was his tomb was found empty. Jesus is not lying in state anywhere, people. There's been no mausoleum erected for him. There is no glass case that we can all file by and go, ooh and ah, his grave is empty. Why? Because he is alive. And then the fifth one is that Jesus himself appeared to many, many times. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 5 and 6, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12 apostles. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Now, I would say that is a crowdsourced confirmation. I mean, just put your social media brain into gear there. You couldn't deny that. 
Couldn't deny that. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this, During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Today I am convinced that through Jesus Christ there is a way for me to have exceptional hope. He is the road to hope. I believe with all my heart and I confess with my mouth today before you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he was dead and he has been raised to life. I believe that he has forgiven me of my sins and that in him I have exceptional hope that leads to eternal life with him when my time here on earth is done. And you too can have that as your confession. You see, God's righteousness, it actually demands justice. And Jesus' mercy compels compassion. God's holiness cannot look on sin, yet Jesus' death and forgiveness washes us clean, paying the price for our sin. God's love requires purity. And Jesus' love redeems and purifies each and every one of us. There is such a clearly mapped out road to hope. It starts with compassion. Leads into forgiveness. And becomes redemption through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is Jesus Christ himself, his powerful, pure, and extravagant love that gives our lives meaning and significance. He came to be my Savior. He came to be yours. Today, he is my Savior. Today, he can be yours. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. John chapter eleven twenty five. 25, in chapter 11, it tells the story of when one of Jesus' good friends, Lazarus, died. Jesus rocks up and He's dead. Lazarus is in the tomb. He's been there for four days. A little bit of Jewish culture here. Let me just pause on that. We read the story and it, Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. And he, he just went, you know what? We're just going to chill. We'll hang out a bit. And then four days after he died, he shows up. There is a significant, I believe, a significant reason for this timeline. Within ancient Jewish Hebrew culture, when someone dies... It was believed that for the first three days after their death, they literally were asleep. After four days, they did. So why did Jesus rock up on day four and not day three? Because then according to culture, they could have said, ah, he was just asleep. We got it wrong. On day four, he was most definitely dead. In actual fact, one of his sisters said, Lord, we can't open that. It's going to stink. <laughs> And yet on day four, Jesus comes and, and the sisters, Mary and Martha, is like, if you had been here. In verse 25 of John chapter 11, this is what Jesus said to her from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. But I want to read it to you out of the message translation this morning. It says this, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. 
Why do I put that vision in my message this morning? You don't have to wait until your last dying breath to call out to hope. You don't have to wait and try and figure out, do, what do I need to do? Do I need to tick this box or do I need to do this job or do I need to do this study or do I need to purify myself somehow? No, you just got to call on the name of Jesus. You just got to reach out and put your hand in the living hope, capital H. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What do we need to do? We need to believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is. And we need to believe that he came and he died for our sins. And we need to confess that. And he is righteous and good and complete to come in compassion, to forgive your sins and to redeem your soul. I find I'm just getting just as much excited as if I was if there was 250 people in here. Because this is the message of hope. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Oh my goodness. See, Easter, two weeks away. It's not just some historical event. It is a, a, a historical event. It actually happened. But it's not just an historical event. Easter is the person of compassion, the person of forgiveness, and the person of redemption. He is the road to hope. The road to hope is for all. There is no exclusions, no disqualifications, no tests no to pass, no license to hold. Jesus' compassion, his forgiveness, and his redemption are available to all. So where do we come into this? Well, Jesus' love is also perfect. And for it to be perfect, it means he will allow us the freedom to choose. This morning, I want to ask you this question. What will you do today with the good news of the hope that I have shared with you?